Welcome to Persisters, an all-female live show and podcast. Each episode showcases one artist. You'll hear their performance from our live show, followed by an interview with us, Beth Rowe and Alex Kern. Please listen and please subscribe. This is my um, third time at Persisters. Um, Beth told me that if I came five times, I get a jacket like Saturday at live posts, but I don't know. I'm waiting. Um, so, humble brag, I am a really good cleaner. Um, not just in the spring, I do it every day. That way I can enjoy my spring, like this is the way my mother told me it would work well for me. Um, this first poem is dedicated to her. It's called Hand Me Downs. My mother told me to get over it that I'd get over it, that I'd get what was coming to me. She told me not to stop till I was satisfied, not to be satisfied with less than best, not to give people the satisfaction. She told me to mind my P's and Q's, to make up my mind, to mind my sister. She said to keep my shoulder to the grindstone, play my cards close to my vest, make sure I always wore clean underwear. She told me to look both ways when I crossed the street, to keep an eye out, <clears throat> to watch out for people I could not insult. She said I should have a plan and have the follow through to follow through, that good intentions weren't enough to pave the way. She said that life was hard and people could be cruel, that I should feast upon life's banquet, and the kitchen was now closed. Um, I grew up in suburban Boston, and we had a summer cottage that we shared with my grandparents on Cape Cod. It was, um, the men would work during the week, and then they would come down for the weekends. It was sort of like, you would think like the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, except not really, but there was canasta and jello molds. <laughs> this, is, this is called House of Women. It was a house of coffee cake and hairspray. Needlepoint and gossip, men essential to the organism, but flung to sides like water in a salad spinner, not the heart of things. My mother and her mother crocheting on the beach, bottoms waffled by webbed nylon, shoulders brushing nightly over soap suds in an aproned kiss. They teased that I was like my father, so I pulled away from them the way I saw him do. My sister tried to tap dance in their rhythm, but her step ball change was never on the beat. She wears their lily of the valley fragrance now, souvenir of childhood's past. Its notes of sweetness stir my stomach with a ghostly longing every time she washes and I dry. Um. <laughs> This is called Comfort Food. Under a bower of old pittosporum at a once grand Montecito estate, 30 women under 40 gathered to discuss the state of the world. As usual, it was grim. Pain and suffering across the hemispheres, reproductive rights once again, once again under siege. Despite creature comforts, extended educations, successful climbs up success's ladder, they felt powerless. The conversation turned to brisket. Each was convinced she had the world's best recipe. 
The hostess, a former ballerina, said she smothered her meat completely with thin sliced onions and carrots till not a glimpse of flesh remained. Her toned arms flexed gracefully under gauzy floral sleeves thanks to genetics and a daily Pilates routine. The TV executive, who had once driven her Mercedes through a closed garage door when the clicker malfunctioned, swore by her French granny's technique of adding wine to beef and vegetables in an old iron pot or, lacking that, a new Le Creuset. The yoga instructor swore that extra firm tofu was as good as veal when baked with barbecue sauce or mango chutney. She had served it to carnivores on many occasions, and everyone swore it was meat. They all agreed the secret to a brilliant brisket was to cook it low and slow with liquid in a covered pan, and they would reconvene the following year for a taste-off to see whose was the best. Each would also bring her version of the world's best chocolate mousse. Uh, love technically. Now that life's all ones and o's, our separate snowflake cells reduced to helixed A, T, G, and C, where's the romance that once sweltered under lifeguard towers, salty kisses, doo-wop sweet by gulls? Where's the Motown lilt, now Tinder's tasked with tenderness, and smartphones flick emojis with impatient thumbs? Where's the fire that warmed basements with its crackle pop, now chats are frozen into cool blue YouTube light? Wears copper-toned stiff towels, long hot summers sealed with a kiss. What happened to forever after on a bended knee? Where's love? Um, <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, uh, I saw this documentary on Netflix between Netflix and Amazon. I rarely leave the house anymore. Um, <laughs> But it was footage that they got of Jane Goodall when she was in her early 20s, and she just arrived in uh, Africa, and it inspired this poem called Planet of the Apes. Had she known that they could tear her face off if she coughed too loud or didn't offer bunched bananas, would Jane Goodall have khaki crouched for years in forests, armed with just a buck-toothed smile and a pair of good binoculars? jotting every scowl and screech of apes she treated like her own while sending son away to boarding school and husband off to Serengeti with a brave ta-ta. Did she confuse their wildness for nobility, their lack of artifice for truth? Did it surprise her when her wards turned their embrace to murder, swinging tree to tree while tearing limb from limb, greedy not for food but for more power and position? like their human spin-offs pushed to shove, going for jugular. Um, okay. Um, okay, now we're going back down memory lane again. It's Initiation Fee is the title of this poem. The older daughter of a family friend taught me how to do the twist the summer I was on the cusp of Candyland and Kotex pads. <laughs> Cross-legged on her double bed, I listened as she talked to boys Mischief simmered in her throat, laughter in her sly jade eyes. I watched her as she changed her clothes from baby dolls to madras shorts, exhaling ghostly o's of smoke from skinny menthol cigarettes. We harmonized to Bobby V, transistor radio cranked up high, ignoring mother's strict taboo, she shaved my furry knobby legs. 
One full moon balmy August night, in headlight glare of her MG, I slipped on sea slick jetty rocks as we watched the mating hermit crabs. We raced for stitches in the dark, top down screaming, wind whipped hair. She teased I'd always have a scar to remind me sex can be a bitch. I winced a laugh from shotgun seat, wise to score before the game. Induction into womanhood comes chaperoned by blood. I have one more to close. It's called Tea Party, not the Jim Jordan party, but a real little tea party. Um, the little china tea set with the delicate pink flowers was given to me by an aunt and uncle who were childless. The blossoms were hand-painted, and the porcelain was so thin you could almost see imaginary tea inside. I curled my finger through the cup and entertained the girl next door with details of my pretend days, chores that left me sad and tired because my children never went to sleep and cried when I went out with friends. I couldn't wait till they grew up so I could have my life again. My playmate nodded sociably, took another goldfish cracker from the floral plate and said her kids were even worse, especially since their father left and started dating the old sitter. <laughs> Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Persisters. I'm Beth Rowe. And I'm Alex Kern. And we're here with Paula. We are sitting in your backyard. Miss Paula Rudnick, in her backyard, it's a beautiful day. It's beautiful. The flowers are blooming. The birds are chirping. It's spring. And we just had a wonderful breakfast. Yes. We're Life very spoiled. Life is good so far. Life is really good so <laughs> very far. Very spoiled this morning. Yeah. We, um, Paula, you also just did a show at the Skylight Bookstore. How was it? It was great. It was, uh, I was one of a group of poets. It was natu- it's National Poetry Month. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's National Poetry Month, so they had a group of poets, um, some people that I've been working with in a workshop situation, and then three other authors. Um, and it was, we got a really good group, and it was fun, and um, Skylight Books sold a lot of books. Support your local bookstore. That's great, man. When, when are you having your book come out? Yeah, well... Um, <laughs> Uh, I keep honing my material, so um, I just keep writing and writing. I think that um, sort of like a golf score, you know, if you start adding up your score, it's sure that you're going to mess up the next hole. So I'm just writing and trying to get better, and then I'm going to look through and see if there's thematic material, if everything is of a quality that I... I hopefully I'm aspiring to, and so uh, what, what, what doesn't make the, uh, it's like cleaning out your closet, what doesn't make the cut anymore? It doesn't look good on you yeah. anymore. What doesn't bring you joy? Which, right? <laughs> joy is a whole other poem, thing. Uh, Do you ever find yourself... Does it make you cry? Yeah. I'm going the other direction. Yeah. <laughs> Anguish? Oh, shoot, no. Next. With writing, it's not just joy. It's like, does it give you any... Does it give you... What is it? Any Does emotions? it make my life worthwhile? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Did you ever find that when you go back and read something you wrote a long time ago that you may not even remember that you wrote it, and do you think, wow, that's pretty good? Yes, <laughs> and also the opposite. Sure. Both, yes. But yeah, it's, it's um, uh, sometimes I try to remember things that I wrote, you know, and there's a cadence to poetry, so it's sort of like a song. It's easier to remember than, uh, you know, if you've written a play or that sort of thing. Sure. It depends on other characters. And I can't for the life of me think of the next line, so... 
Um, yeah, it's always it's a surprise that it comes. It's a surprise when you reread it. Um, that's when you know you're getting close, I think. Mm-hmm. I love that. Does it get easier the more you do it? Doesn't any writing? I mean, on a, on a project by project thing, maybe not, but in general, it's a practice mm-hmm. like anything else. So mm-hmm. uh, let me say this. For the moment, I'm finding that it's easier. I, I don't say, oh, I've got nothing to say. I'm, I'm, I guess because of things in the world and things in my life, I just feel that the more I read and the more I see, the more I get stimulated. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, it gets easier, I guess, I would say. Yeah. You're an avid reader, but also supporter of all kinds of art. So you see, do you, like, and that's kind of one of the things that I've heard a lot of writers talk about as far as um, writer's block, to read or go see something. And then that, is that something that you draw a lot of inspiration from? Well, yeah, I started out, when I was at Sarah Lawrence, I was an art major. And I was a painter mm-hmm. from the time I was 12. So I was always looking for some way to express whatever was in there. Um, now I just decorate my daughter's apartment. So, <laughs> <laughs> But um, the visual arts, I've been, um, I've been associated with MOCA for a long time. I live close to the Hammer Museum, and uh, yeah, and and I think a lot of visual artists are also exploring more than ever the relationship between um, text and visual arts. Mm. Um, the whole Black Mountain College group, you know, the Nicholas Merce Cunningham and Nicholas yes, Cave yes, and yes. Um, Joseph Albers, all those people kind of gathered together and in different expertise areas of art and um, they just sort of like pumped each other up and and sparked each other. So yeah, and and visual arts. I read once something that said that if you're feeling blank, go out for a walk or just even walk on your treadmill. It's not the scenery so much that's inspiring you, it's the movement Mm -hmm. that you're that part of your brain is is has to uh, think about, okay, left, right, left, right. And in taking that energy off what it is you're trying to think of, it comes from the side. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really... Um, uh, I do get inspired by other things, and I think it's a great way for everybody to break through blocks in thinking of any type. Yeah. Like they say, you know, when you... Uh, Beth and I do a lot of comedy stuff, and we want to go to a lot of shows. We want to be in shows. We want to be surrounded by comedians, et cetera. But it is also so important to experience life outside of that because that's going to inform yeah. your work. That's going to make it, I don't know, more comprehensive in a way that someone who just is in this comedy bubble, their work will express. So I completely agree. It's the same thing that, like, when we learned that uh, Nate, who's also on the show, said so beautifully about diversity and having diversity, like hiring um, diverse artists, was just simply, like, hire people that don't look like you and your story is going to be more interesting. Mm -hmm. Which I feel like it's the same way, like, going out and seeing things. Like, sure, your work is amazing, you're great, your point of view is fantastic, but if you don't experience other people's point of view, where are you going to go? That's... Yeah, I mean, even things that you love. Okay, so I'm going to admit something here. I really enjoyed the Green Book. And it's Mm. been very interesting for me 
to hear from people um, of color the depth of their outrage wow. at yeah. how at what that movie was. Um, and I'm also talking to people who are in the Jewish community leaders. I'm dying to see who won the election in Israel. Uh, My parents like, are there right now. Are they really? Yeah. It's <clears throat> there's so many there's so many trouble spots around the world. It's hard to <laughs> it's hard to know where to start. Mm. But anyway, the the um, at the tropes that um, this freshman congressperson Ilan Omar brought up by talking about. Uh, the money, and it's all about the money. And you know, Citizens United is not a um, an exclusively, uh, or even primarily, a, a blow at the Jews. But Jewish people have been, you know, sort of categorized in this way for so many years that they're hypersensitive. And so I think Green Book hit on some things that is um, centuries old in terms of the black psyche that, you know, can't we all just get along, which was sort of my, oh, isn't this a happy ending? It's like, and I heard this woman, Tressie McMillan Cottom, she's a, a sociologist, PhD. She was in conversation with Roxane Gay at the Hammer. I love and Roxanne. it's like, you know, okay, so now he's, now the... Uh, the Don Shirley character is invited to Christmas dinner at the Italian white people who wouldn't let him drink, and now he's being invited to sit at the table. So we all good now with racism? So I'm beginning to get it. And, and to your point, Beth, I think that the more you expose yourself to ways of thinking that are different from yours, um, the more you get to continue to be alive. Mm -hmm. At least this is how I feel at this stage in my life, that it keeps me learning. And I yeah. think that's what um, makes life exciting. Mm -hmm. they, Amber Tamlin recently, the, um, she's an actress and, she, and a poet and a writer. And, uh, and she said recently that um, it's okay to make mistakes and, and have people call you out for them and then you learn from that and it's not about the mistakes you made it's it's what you learn and how you can grow from that and how you need that in order to like bring light to a new to something else or to somebody else's point of view that maybe they didn't you know you didn't have before people weren't talking about before yeah you have to risk being a jerk and people mm -hmm. thinking you're an asshole, or as <clears throat> a former partner of mine once said, you don't have to be an asshole to be an asshole, and it's so true. Mm -hmm. It's so true. Yeah. But you're clueless until people clue you in. Yeah. And um, like I didn't know it was it was it was um, National uh, Poetry, Poetry Month. Mm. Uh, is, is, is there are there other is, are there other um, oh I think every month is accounted for <clears throat> yeah I'm sure there are other events I, I mean across the country yeah I'm, are um, you doing anything else for it I'm not but I'm really I have to say I'm not plugged into the poetry scene mm -hmm. um, a lot of it is happening um, east some of it's mm -hmm. happening west. I would probably, if it were, okay, I'm going to confess, it sounds like an episode of The Californians, but it's just, oh, if it's more than 40 minutes and I've got to get on the freeway at a certain point after dark, I just can't do it. Yeah. And um, I think that's a function of, um, of being a, <clears throat> too cozy in my life. And um, I don't exist in a... I mean, you ladies are in a cohort that is exploring stand-up comedy and um, and writing and and 
I'm sort of, that part of my career where anybody's going to pay me to do anything is kind of over. And so I'm not in that group. So I just sort of get to dip a toe in every now and then. I'm not part of the scene. But to be included or on the side of the scene is a very um, uh, fulfilling and exciting and happy place for me. So um, I don't know what else is going on in National Poetry Month. That's a long way of saying that. You're not on the board? <clears throat> no, I'm not on the board. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if elected, I refuse to serve. <laughs> You were you were a lot of people's. Uh, you uh, Alex's mom was at this show, oh, yeah, she was and she uh, what did she she had a lot of nice things to say about. Oh, Paula. she loved Paula. Oh, I loved the poet. Well, I think that you know, I think all writing you have to speak to what's going on in your head and in in your life. So, um, you know, there are there was like the dating scene it would not be something that I would have an enormous amount of material that people who are in their 20s now would resonate with, I don't think. I mean, I think there's a certain universality to setting something as a period piece in, in sepia. But, but um, So I, th I think that the human experience has... Um, what is it that uh, Mark Twain said? History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Hmm. Oh, I love that. Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah. 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 And... Um, and I think mm. that there is a universality to it, but to speak to maybe part of the reason that your mother responded to my work is that I'm speaking from the voice of someone who's lived a certain amount. And so your mother, sure. you know, the times that I talk about or the issues that I talk about might be things that she thinks about as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about, we were listening to your poem about dating the dating one and oh, the, how the like whatever happened yeah love technically yeah because I've had that conversation with my mom so many times or even my dad and you like hear about how they met and then yeah. I'm like well I met my boyfriend on Bumble you know and it doesn't have the allure certainly that oh I saw your father and I was like I'm going Trust after him me. you know it just yeah. doesn't I mean I guess that still happens but my I recently got a, a text message technology from my sister-in-law and she said I'm sitting here with your brother and he said to me I'm so happy I met you before I would have had to go on dating apps and then she said that being said did you and Peter meet on a dating app it's like no but you the fact that didn't. they didn't even know was just but it's like but also it's right. so common um well I, I think it's a great thing in, in that it's always hard to meet people but I think it is not the um, revolution revelation that people hoped because it's just another way to be false mm -hmm. for people who are naturally false. And so it gives you the illusion. I mean, I think for me, what I was getting at in that poem, and, and I think the challenge of technology, which opens up whole new categories of, you know, creeps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... And potential, um, you know, close friends and lovers, is that illusion that you really know somebody, mm -hmm. that there's a shortcut to mm -hmm. yes. um, to really finding the one who's right for you. It's sort of like a bespoke suit, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like made to order, and they understand that I need a little bit wider over here. No, yeah, <laughs> it's just another universe of people to wade through. And I think that, um, like anything, you know, it's sort of like ideas. If, if you write about anything, 
that's somehow more challenging than I'd like you to write about a, um, I'm thinking of a Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, about a woman who's obsessed and she's really smart and she hasn't found love and she follows, she bumps into her camp romance and she thinks th that's meant to be. Then, yeah. like, okay, where can I go with that? Now you've got an idea and you can be endlessly embellishing that, but if you say, okay, what do you want to write about? Well, I don't know. Um, right, sure. And, and I think... It's too many options. <laughs> too many options. And I think, so I think that the, 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 that, the, that your universe is really the entire world. Whoever, you know, pings you back um, makes you think that you really have that much more chances. And, and I don't know that that's true. Mm -hmm. And I think people can get disappointed because like they think hope. that, and so they get discouraged. And, and But I think a lot of people do think that by picking out their spouse online, they do get everything they want they, that needs to be perfect. Like, oh, they fit this? Do they check that? Do they check that? And I remember when I was dating, somebody said to me, what's a, a deal breaker for you? And then realize people are human. Mm -hmm. Like everything else. You don't want anybody human. No, I, I, I want to go <laughs> <laughs> It was like, um, I, I remember I, I, I said that I had didn't want to date an actor or a writer. I wanted to date somebody mm -hmm. outside of my world. And my sister-in-law's sister said to me, that sounds cool, but um, you're not going to get as charismatic as a, of a person if you do that, just so you know. Oh, like what you're used to being around, you might not get that. And, and, and it wasn't that I needed somebody charismatic. I was just like, oh, gosh, I never... Or somebody who understands the pain of what you're going sure. through or who appreciates your brilliance when you achieve it. Yeah. It's such an incredible bond to have with your partner when you're creating things together or at least it's they can complement it or collaborate in some capacity. Like, I've never had that until now, and I don't, I don't think I could ever go back. I go back. Well, how okay, so. Okay. <laughs> so I met my husband. We were, uh, it was a blind date, and we were fixed up. And this was after I had been through... All of the, I had a thing, my thing was comedy writers. Can you ladies relate? Oh, oh they made me laugh. I was completely smitten. And one really inappropriate person after another in terms of the emotional ability, just it, none of them had the, the longevity of like, okay, a month was a really good run. And I finally <laughs> said, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. And, um, I don't think had we not been introduced by people who were in my life, who I loved, um, that I would have been open to it. But he was in a completely different world. And um, he's got a good sense of humor, but it's not the sort of spark that I have, like when I have lunch with a friend of mine who I, I collaborated with, who's a comedy writer, who I would not want to be married to ever or be with because he's totally crazy um but um but you know it's exciting i mean good dialogue yeah um mm -hmm. and it's just different so i think for me you know if, if, if your sister-in-law were to ask me what was your deal breaker somebody who um without character hmm. and so i chose someone who had character and compassion um, and he was cute as hell. Mm -hmm. And so that, uh, somebody I felt like I could really count on so I could be the crazy one. Now, in retrospect, you know, these people who say they're sane, I think I'm the solid one in a lot of ways. Wow. So you never know. We're all totally nuts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's We're all totally nuts. Mm -hmm. 
So I would say maybe now I want somebody whose craziness um, co- complements mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My girlfriend of mine got married last year, and she uh, and her now husband met in their uh, you know mid thirties, and and she said, "I hate when people say." oh, you're marrying your best friend. She's like, I'm 30-something years old. Like, he's not my best friend. I have a bunch of best friends already. Like, you're not going to get everything from one person. I have so many other relationships that I get that from, and he's a, fun, he's a, a great partner He's my to have. partner. Yeah. 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 So you're um, engaged. Do you mm-hmm. Have you set a date? In uh, October 12th. Oh, where are you doing your wedding? On the Cape. Oh, how nice. I'm very excited. Where on the Cape? In Falmouth. In Yum. West Falmouth, to be pre- Okay, we're going to Falmouth in June. Oh, you are? Yes. Um, I'm going to be there in July. The inn at... Um, the inn on the square? No, no. It's on the ocean. South... Seas... Um, blah, I don't know. Um, it's right on the ocean. It's beautiful. I love Falmouth. It's yeah. so beautiful. It's the best. Yeah. I've never been. I'm excited. Oh, it's going to be great. So yeah, beautiful. I am. Really um, yeah. Congratulations. Just in a, thank you. I was just in a wedding up in Ojai, and it was... Uh, and I th- I think the the thing that makes a wedding so special besides pe- two people being in love is that they took all the elements of where they were. So it was on a lavender farm, and they and everywhere had like sage and Palo Santo, and it was just like the music was great, the weather was nice, it was warm, and it just kind of had that. They just used the elements really well. Yeah. So I'm, trying to figure out how to use the elements of, of possible hurricanes and rain and, <laughs> you know, with a, with a, with a, with Stormy weather. With that. Everyone yeah. gets umbrellas. Yeah. When they walk and like the center is just like lobster traps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are the centerpieces. Um, <laughs> clam chowder and like oyster crackers. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like that in my gift oh, bag. Who needs a I'd wedding like a, planner? Yeah. yeah. Who needs a wedding yeah, planner? Yeah, exactly. Just hire me. Where did you guys get married? We got married in my parents' backyard. The caterers set off the smoke alarm, um, so that was beeping the entire time. Um, my my parents were also a blind date. They got married. A, a rabbi married them who had a um, one glass eye. So one eye was looking down at what he was reading, and the other eye was staring at them. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, it was um, it was extremely low key. We had such a tumultuous romance that we were just like, let's just get this over with. And I had the world's most unattractive wedding dress that my, you know, my my husband was married before briefly. Okay. And so when my older daughter was five or something, she was scavenging through cabinets. <laughs> there, at the, he had like a very elaborate hotel wedding with the whole thing. I mean, mine was very. I didn't even want to purchase a wedding dress. I was working at Universal at the time, so I went to the costume department and I borrowed a skirt, a lawn skirt, and That's then amazing. I complimented I it with that. a really unattractive lacy bibbed blouse. That actually, Dior had something in their window when I. <laughs> Recently, they've decided to scavenge. You know, everything comes back, even the ugly, sure. st- even the stuff that shouldn't. Sure. But anyway, anyway, um, so they had a couple of wedding albums from his first album. She got the big one, and half the dishes. But that's another story. And he got like a little mini one. So, uh, so my daughter finds it in the cabinet, and she runs to it. She says, "Mommy, who is this bride with Daddy?" <laughs> that's so funny. 
Yeah, my, my dad was previously married, and, oh. it, and it was something I found out when I was uh, younger, but my mom and all of her, I think I've probably said this on the podcast, but my mom and all of her sisters married men who were previously married, and they had, they've had long, beautiful marriages. Interesting. Yeah, the starter marriage. What about you, Alex? My parents uh, met in college, and my mom saw him at a football game. At the University of Wisconsin. In uniform or in the stands? No, in the stands. <laughs> definitely drinking a lot of beer. They both like to party. Uh, and she was like, who is that? And her friend was like, that's Doug Kern. And she was like, oh. And then I, I, she just kept her eye on him. And apparently he was not interested. And then she said she made sure to... Um, just hang around, you know, so that he would see her. This is they were both at Ohio State? Uh, Wisconsin, at University Wisconsin. of Wisconsin. And then my mom started dating his roommate, and then he came around and was like, oh, hey, Wait, Jane. that was just a ploy? I mean, that was yep. sort of, whoa. I know. Whoa. I know. I was like, how come I didn't pick up on any I of these things? I am the prize lady. I know. And then my <laughs> sister went after her current, her current husband, her husband. Wow. And I was there when it all happened. Uh-huh. Um, so, so yeah. So who do you want, Alex? The Kern girls, yeah, I know. The Kern girls go after their men, apparently. Uh-huh, so. uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Although my mom did tell me in high school, she was like, you have to be mysterious. And I was like, mystery does not work. I'm sorry. Like, why are you telling me advice that you didn't follow? So, um, yeah, and they've been, those are first marriages. So they've been mm-hmm. married for almost 45 years. Wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah, so. What's the secret to a long marriage? Um, it's not thinking that that one person is going to bring all of your life to you and to be um, not waiting for somebody else to make your life for you, but to bring as much to it as you get. And, and I do centerpieces too, so just, just so you know. Okay. Lobster traps? <laughs> Lobster traps is good. When, uh, so what, what's next for, for you as far as writing or performing? Do you have anything on the books? I don't really pursue the performing thing so much, um, which I should. Um, I'm pursuing, um, I've, since our last conversation, I've had more things published in national literary journals, which is very cool. Oh, wow. Um, the Jewish Journal has published seven or eight of my poems, um, wow. which is very cool. I get a full page, which is really nice. And they keep it in their online archives so people can look me up and see what I've, what I've got. So that's sort of nice. And then, you know, I, I am continuing to work towards that. Uh, there definitely is a goal of, of um, publishing a volume. Yeah. Um, I'm very excited for your book. Thank you, Sam. Yeah, Thanks. I'm also very excited for the release party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I'm more excited. I'm working yeah, on the centerpieces yeah. for the release party. Yeah. There will be cohogs. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff cohogs. Some are chorizo. Some not. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I think you know there are times when I talk to really intelligent people who are um, of my vintage, and it's uh, there. There is a um, okay. Alex, for for all of you who are just listening, Alex just made a, like, what are you talking about? Um, Thank you, yoga. Um, But there's uh, an Annie Leibovitz photography show now. I don't know how much longer it's going to be at Hauser and Worth Gallery. It's incredible. It's incredible because she started photographing when she was at the San Francisco Art School. Um, And so she was doing Haight-Ashbury during the whole flower child thing. 
And then she was hired by Rolling Stone. So she did a lot of the classic rock and roll performers, including the Rolling Stones, and then um, political campaigns. And it was just our whole life, my my whole life, um, in these amazing photographs that are so resonant now and that we find ourselves back in these times is extremely distressing. But if you've got some sort of a creative outlet, I feel so fortunate to be able to always have had from the time that I would you know soothe myself when I felt that my parents were not being fair to me because they punished me for talking back which was not allowed in those days Um, not allowed to talk back you had to respect your elders and so you could see how well I did with childhood so when I would be banished to my room I would amuse myself by drawing cartoons and then I would turn those into greeting cards and pretty soon I didn't want to be with anybody else anyway and I think that throughout my life I've done I've done painting I've done writing I've done um never did never did dance if you saw me dance you'd understand and say good choice um but you know I played the piano that there's always been a place where I could put my feelings and I think that um if you're lucky enough to have that you take it for granted. I mean, not that it's totally painless, because when you put your feelings there and you look and it's not worthy of the real feel deal that you've got inside, then you feel like an even larger lump of dust. But um, that being able to transform the inevitable pain that life deals you into something, another form, is a real gift. It's a real gift. Um, And, you know, not that I think I'm so gifted. Um, There are plenty of people who make me say, just go back to bed. But um, but they're probably, they have those days too. So just to keep doing it. And we were talking earlier about journaling. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a really big fan of that because, A, it gets it off your chest. um, And... B, you never know how it's going to strike you when you look at it later and C, you're never going to feel exactly that way again. So it's a way to recapture, which is sort of, I think, what all art is, a way to recapture what's happened, Mm -hmm. to envision what might happen, what you want to happen, what you don't want to happen. Right. We we like to to wrap up episodes by asking our... uh, our artists, how they persist, and you did that without us even asking. Oh my! Mm-hmm. Oh, it must not be your so first time on this show. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to give her her jacket. Yeah, no, we got to get to the fifth oh, show. Right, You've right. got okay, uh, okay, two, more. You, two more, and two, two more. We're gonna get that. Uh, is the it jacket. a jacket or is it a robe? Well, they give oh. a jacket, but I think you know why history rhymes. I so like a yeah. robe would be lovely. A robe would be lovely. Like a writer's robe? What's a writer's robe? I don't know. Something that you could... Something you write on. Maybe with yeah. graffiti all over it. That oh. would be good. Oh. Mm. Yeah. And, you yeah. Could, and you could sell it on the, on the website. You could market it. Because oh, yeah, you've got to do like multi-platform stuff. Like our president. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, I couldn't help it. Had oh to. Had to. Had to. I have highlighter pen all over my robes. <laughs> Literally, just all over the sleeves and pen. See, you write with a robe on. Mm-hmm. So maybe... Not all the time, Paula Rudnick, thank you so much. Thank you. Watching the moonlight 
on Cape Cod Bay.